0: Well, good morning. You all look particularly sharp and alert today. I think that extra hour of sleep and maybe, maybe helped a little bit. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoyed it, but I, I woke up earlier than I intended to. My body's still on pre-daylight savings time. And so I ate earlier than normal. And so I got to admit to you, I'm a little bit hungry right now. Uh, but thankfully for me, they, they kind of set the table up from week to week for our sermon series. And this week, there's actual real food up here. There's pita bread, and there's cheese, there's some grapes. And so I want to encourage you to just have a moment of silence. (laughs) A little bit of prayer. Just give me a second. kind of dry, though. No, no liquid. Oh, well. Just a minute. There we go. Nothing between my teeth? <laughs> no? Okay. Today we're continuing our sermon series uh, called Meals of the Master. We started just after Labor Day. And what we're doing, if you're if your first Sunday with us, to kind of get you up to speed, is we're looking at stories where Jesus shares a meal with people. And it's based in the Gospel according to Luke. 20% of the Gospel of Luke, um, more than any other Gospel, is Jesus breaking bread, Drinking something, sharing a meal, talking with people around a table. So, for instance, we've uh, looked at stories like last week, Stephen, our youth director, looked at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. We think of him as the wee little man. But Stephen reminded us he's also was described as a notorious sinner. Jesus went to his house. House, Sorry, I'm still swallowing. <laughs> went to his house and, um, and it says that salvation came to his house that day, that Zacchaeus gave his life to Christ. A few weeks before that, Pastor West looked at the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus and the disciples fed 5,000 people miraculously using just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And we looked at a variety of other stories. Jesus going to the house of Pharisees, um, interacting with a woman who had a bad reputation in town, calling Levi the tax collector to follow him. He became Matthew and was one of Jesus' disciples. And today we come to as you've probably guessed from the reading and from the table and from the communion elements up front, we're coming to the most familiar meal of all, the Last Supper. And it's a meal that Jesus eats with his, his closest friends, his best friends on earth. Jesus gathers with them and has this meal. Now, as we know, during the course of the meal, Jesus points out that somebody's going to betray him. In fact, all of them, in a sense, betray him. They all reject him. But one in particular is going to betray him. Now, let's set the, sort of the table or the context here for the what's going on in Luke chapter 22. It's the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. He's been preaching and teaching and healing and interacting with people for three years now. He's 33 years old. And um, at the beginning of the week, on what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds line up along the streets. They wave palm branches. They shout his praises. They proclaim him as king. Here in Luke 22, it's just a few nights later. It's a few days later. It's Thursday. It's the the night before Jesus goes to the cross and is crucified. And Jesus knows very well, all too well, that this is going to be his last meal on earth before the crucifixion. You know, um, without, without exception, there's, there's, there's this interesting dynamic that seems to happen when you, when you hear of an execution that happens in the U.S. You'll, you'll read the article, and often what they'll do is, along with the circumstances, what they've done and who they hurt and, and all that, they'll include something about the prisoner having their last meal. You know, I always thought that was kind of curious. And, of course, without fail, they're going to pick their favorite foods, understandably. Now, we don't know what Jesus' favorite foods were. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, But on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus was very, very specific in where he ate, um, what he ate, when he ate, and with whom he ate. Take a look at verse 1. Now, the feast of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. So what's happening here is the night of the Passover and, and the chief priests are afraid of Jesus. They're, he's getting so much attention from the people around him. We saw that in the Palm Sunday processional. And they're flocking to him. They, they think the world of him. They, they think he's going to be the new Messiah. And so the chief priests can't have that. And so they're, they're trying to conspire. How can we get rid of this guy? How can we kind of snuff this out? And so it happens on the night of the Passover. Now, remember what the Passover is? Just a, just a review, when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt for over 500 years, God sends Moses at the end of that 500 years to, to confront Pharaoh and ask him, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses, and so God sends a series of plagues to kind of convince him. And he keeps saying no until the last plague, which is the one that does the trick. If you remember the story, uh, the angel of death comes and the firstborn son in every household in the land is killed. The only ones who are spared are the, the Israelites who followed God's instructions and smeared the blood of a lamb over the door, doorpost of the houses. And so to remember and celebrate that night, the night that death passed over their houses, the people of Israel would celebrate a Passover meal on the anniversary of that deliverance. And so that's the context. That's the night that Jesus is sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, the night of the Passover meal. And in the Passover meal, there are specific foods you're supposed to eat, specific things you're supposed to drink, prayers you're supposed to say, things, hymns you're supposed to sing. Unleavened bread, lamb, wine, bitter herbs, and several other things. Not exactly a self-indulgent meal of a condemned man the night before he's crucified. You know, instead of using his last meal to, to serve himself, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and he serves his disciples a meal. Instead of being a guest like he was in other stories in Luke, here he is the host. And it's a meal that he's been offering and hosting for centuries, graciously inviting all to trust in him, to come to him, to take and to eat and to drink. Now, the Last Supper, as I said, was also a night of betrayal. And I'm guessing most of us, not all of us, know the experience of being betrayed. If you live long enough, you're going to be disappointed, let down, and hurt by someone that you trust and love. It's, it's, a, it's a painful experience. And what makes it so painful is that, is that somebody who knows your heart, who knows your character, who knows your intentions, somebody that you trust, turns on you, wounds you, rejects you as we know from the story jesus experienced that betrayal by a friend the, the disciple judas iscariot now now we've heard this story so many times that sometimes it begins to lose its punch a little bit we forget that jesus would have lived and and walked and talked and they would have they would have traveled together spent their lives together for 3 years which is longer than a lot of marriages last nowadays jesus would have done miracles that judas would have observed Judas saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead just a few days earlier. Judas saw Jesus cast out demons and heal the paralyzed and the blind and the lame and so on and so forth. He heard him teach and preach profound things. Jesus poured his heart into this man at the end of those three years. His heart is broken, betrayed for a bag of silver. You know, I've always kind of struggled with the story of Judas. You think, okay... All of the, he, he knew all this. He saw this. He traveled with Jesus. Jesus loved him. Why and how could he do this? Well, as we look at the different accounts of the Last Supper, we can, in the different Gospels, we can pick out some, some themes. For instance, in Matthew 26, a little bit before the Last Supper account in Matthew, we read this. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, this was sort of the proverbial straw that broke the back of the camel for, for Judas. Because Judas, Judas, as we look at the scripture, he was the, kind of the, the disciple, the, the accountant, the, 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 the financial guy, the, the money man. He, he handled donations. He allocated funds for food and drink. And so he must have been thinking, wait a second, this woman just just poured this money down the drain. And Jesus not only let her get away with it, he gave her a pat on the back. He commends her for it. You know, many commentators believe that this jar of perfume was probably worth around forty or $50,000 in today's terms. And the reason they believe that is because of what it says in the Gospel of John about this account where it says this, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, was later to betray him and objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to, used to help himself to what was put into it. Now we can, we can criticize Judas for a lot of things, and rightfully so, but we need to give him credit here he understood what Jesus was calling the disciples to. The other disciples didn't quite get it until after the cross and after the resurrection, but Judas, I think, got most of what Jesus was about. They didn't understand that he was calling them to an at times seemingly irrational, extravagant, costly life of love, a a life that poured itself out for others, a lifestyle that didn't always make sense in the world's eyes, a life that died so that others could live. But Judas understood it. He didn't comprehend that Jesus was the son of God and he certainly didn't expect Jesus to raise from the dead. But he did see that Jesus was calling him to a life that he wanted no part of. Judas expected Jesus to be a Messiah who would use power and politics and pull and position and prestige. But somewhere along the way, Judas figured out that following Jesus would not be financially beneficial to him. And so he sells sells Jesus out for a bag of silver. Now, I'm not trying to vilify Judas here. I think he's a sad and tragic figure. I believe that he started out loving Jesus. But over time, he allowed Satan a foothold, which led to a heart hold, which led to the ultimate betrayal. What I am trying to do is to hold up the story of Judas as a, a mirror for our own lives. This mirror can serve us well when we stumble, when we choose not to follow Jesus. Notice I said, "When, not if," because all of us, at countless times during our lives, stumble spiritually, fall short of God's standards and commands. And echoing Ju- Judas's words, you might be thinking, "Surely not I." But if we're honest, Jesus says to us, yes, it's, it's you too. But Jesus does not leave us there. You see, even while Judas was still in the t- room at the table, Jesus broke bread, he poured the cup, and he offered it to Judas, knowing all along that he was going to betray him, knowing that Peter would deny him, knowing the other disciples would turn and run and leave him in his hour of need. And Jesus offers the same cup and bread to us today, even though he knows that we will continue to fall short and even at times to betray him. Jesus calls each one of us who call him Lord to live a life of costly love and to love others as he has first loved us. In, in John's account of the Last Supper, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have first loved. Loved you. It's a service that we celebrate every year here where we take the cup and the bread in communion and we remember what Jesus has done for us but also what he's calling us to do and to be. You know, when we celebrate every Sunday, what we celebrate every Sunday is things like salvation and forgiveness and grace and mercy, eternal life, new starts, new beginnings, peace and joy. But we must not forget at what cost those things are accessible to us. It's always been curious to me that sometimes people get so wound up about a hunter shooting a deer and yet they hear the story of Jesus Christ and it doesn't seem to impact them that much. Jesus took this last meal knowing what was next. And though he prayed in the garden, if it's possible, take this from me, he did also pray not my will, but yours be done. And in verse 15, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I eagerly desire. Why? Because he knew that if he didn't go through his with his mission, that his disciples, his family, his followers, countless people, including you and me, would be lost. And so he ate the unleavened bread. He, he ate the bitter herbs. He... Ate the lamb, he drank the wine, eagerly out of love for you and for me. And so in conclusion, as we come to the table, we need to remember two realities. The first reality is that we're sinners. And we're going to continue to sin, though hopefully less and less, as we allow Christ to change us. But in a very real sense, we are too responsible the death of Christ. Surely I I Lord. Yes it's you but the second reality is this is that we're also offered the love and the grace of God's forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ and we are not we don't have to be left in sin but we can be made whole we can be cleansed so come to the table with humility this morning knowing that but for God's grace you are lost and Come to the table with gratitude, motivated to live as Jesus Christ loved you. And come to the table knowing that Jesus Christ is present here through his Holy Spirit, that he is the host, and that he eagerly wants to share this meal with you this morning. He wants to serve you. Do this in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for the truth of your word and how it guides us and directs us into a greater understanding of who you are, who Jesus Christ is, how we can have a relationship with you, and how we are to live our lives. Lord, we thank you for the story of the Last Supper. and Lord, we, we acknowledge and we admit that we, like Judas and Peter and the other disciples have denied you in word or deed or action. And we, we come to you, Lord, knowing that our only hope is you. So we humbly put ourselves at your mercy. Lord, we don't have to come afraid either. We can come confidently because Jesus Christ intercedes for us and has on everything that's needed to be done for us to be right with you. We simply have to respond and say yes to put our trust in Him. And so, Father, now as we come to the table, we pause for a moment of silence and we, we confess our sin. We ask for your help and mercy. We commit ourselves to you anew in this moment of silence. Lord, we thank you for your promise in first John one nine that if we confess our sin, that Jesus Christ, who is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, our wrongdoing. So we thank you for that promise, Lord. And now we come to this table, also eagerly awaiting, wanting to share this with you, Lord. Strengthen us, bring wholeness and healing. Help us, Father, to honor you with our lives. Amen. Jesus was always the guest. In the homes of Peter and Jairus, Martha and Mary, Joanna, Susanna, he was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy, where he had pled the case to the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming a stranger, he was always the guest. But here at this table, Jesus is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be led by him. Those who would wash his feet must first let him make them clean. For this is the table where God intends us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new. So come you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, for a better life, for a fairer world. Jesus Christ, who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests of his.